Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. This is Abby Martin. This is the audio version of each episode of the Empire Files hosted on Telesaur English. You can watch every episode at theempirefiles.tv. There's no phrase U.S. politicians love to repeat more than support the troops. This pledge is hammered into the American psyche at every turn, commemorated by several national holidays where those same politicians give big ceremonial speeches declaring their love for veterans. But a dark hidden history shows that they're no friend to service members, but rather their greatest enemy. An easy way to prove this is to look at how quickly they betray and abandon their soldiers after ruining their lives, and even after using them as literal lab rats. The Army was conducting experiments on enlisted soldiers after the use of chemical weapons in the first major clash of empires, World War I. They were hoping to prove the bizarre idea that black soldiers' skin would be more resistant to chemical weapons, so they could put them on the front lines. Declassified Pentagon documents show these race-based chemical tests occurred between 1942 and 1944, during which around 60,000 people were experimented on with skin and lung-burning chemicals like mustard gas, nerve gas, and lewisite, a chemical agent that causes severe chemical burns upon skin contact in the form of giant, fluid-filled blisters. Testing on African Americans didn't prove their magical skin theory, so they took a group of Puerto Rican U.S. soldiers on a training exercise in Panama, where they were made to sit in a jungle while they were sprayed with chemical weapons, with no protection, all to see if their magical Puerto Rican skin would be resilient to it. The Pentagon brass were only concerned with documenting the immediate effects. They completely ignored the long-term impact of these weapons, a litany of life-threatening illnesses including leukemia, skin cancer, and emphysema. The tens of thousands of U.S. soldiers subjected to these racist tests started experiencing chronic symptoms immediately afterwards. One problem, they couldn't get medical treatment because they were sworn to secrecy. Their commanders threatened them with jail time if they even talked about the tests, and even had all their medical records destroyed. To the Army, these tests simply never occurred, and thus the military was not liable for any health-related problems. When the human experiments were declassified in 1993, the U.S. government promised to track down the veteran test subjects and inform them that they could finally get compensation and treatment. But in 2015, NPR found that in over 20 years, they had only located and compensated 610 victims out of 60,000. But many had been fighting for compensation for most of their lives, only to receive rejection letters saying there's not enough evidence of the tests being responsible for their health issues. World War II veteran and test subject Harry Bollinger received numerous rejection letters saying his chronic breathing problems and eczema wasn't the military's fault. To which he said, that's going to be on my tombstone, U.S. Navy, guinea pig. Adding, that won't be too long now probably. He died on March 14, 2016 having given up on getting compensation from the government. Not guaranteed healthcare, living veterans and their families spend upwards of $500 or more per month on medications to treat the side effects. But 1944 wasn't the end of the heinous use of soldiers as lab rats. A decade later in 1953, the Army's Operation Top Hat at Fort McClellan, Alabama gassed enlisted soldiers with various chemical weapons just to test out decontamination methods. The soldiers were not informed of the tests asked for their consent, nor given any follow-up medical treatment. Throughout the 60s, too, they continuously gassed Navy sailors under Project Shad, testing biological and chemical agents on military personnel aboard ships. 
Around 6,000 were unsuspecting guinea pigs. The government didn't even acknowledge the test took place until the year 2000. But testing went far beyond chemical and biological weapons. While today there's an epidemic of suicides due to the government's unwillingness to address the issue of post-traumatic stress disorder, they used to subject traumatized veterans to cruel psychological experiments, including bone-breaking electroshock therapy, induced comas, and most disturbingly, full-blown lobotomies, a violent procedure that entails destroying the frontal lobe of the brain. In 2013, the Wall Street Journal exposed these experiments that occurred in the late 40s and early 50s on the most vulnerable veterans displaying normal reactions to brutal combat, those diagnosed with depression and distress from war. They even lobotomized veterans with the so-called illness of homosexuality. Via the Wall Street Journal, often the surgery left them little more than overgrown children, unable to care for themselves. Many suffered seizures, amnesia, and loss of motor skills. Like 90-year-old Roman Tritz, a World War II bomber pilot who was lobotomized after coming home with combat stress. Lobotomies were performed on at least 2,000 soldiers like Tritz. Psychiatrists confirm that many of these lobotomy patients exhibited symptoms simply characterized today as PTSD, which is diagnosed in hundreds of thousands of veterans. There was never any accountability for destroying the lives and minds of thousands of soldiers. Families were told that their loved one, now cured with this experimental treatment, would have to be cared for like a child for the rest of their lives. After physically removing minds, the CIA enlisted in another mission to try to control them. Like something out of a twisted X-Files plot, Cold War CIA director Alan Dulles activated MKUltra, a decades-long research program that used unwitting test subjects to carry out experiments using psychedelic drugs and extreme isolation, all in an insane attempt to find a truth serum and control minds. The government turned to its usual lab rats, hundreds of unsuspecting American citizens, many of whom were prisoners, addicts, or mentally ill, and of course countless young enlisted soldiers. Government officials employed hallucinogens, torture, and an array of other horrific measures to try to brainwash individuals. The drug-induced mind control tests under MKUltra were administered by a mad chemist named Sidney Gottlieb. On behalf of the CIA, Gottlieb gave LSD, mescaline, ketamine, and PCP to thousands of human subjects. Often, they'd become ill for days. Many were plagued with PTSD, others with permanent psychosis. The most incredible fact is that these psychological experiments, which seemed like they were devised in Nazi Germany, actually did have Nazi scientists working at the CIA at the time under what was called Operation Paperclip. The CIA aggressively recruited thousands of Nazi scientists into their research programs, giving them new identities in America, along with protection and big paychecks. Comforting thought. The exact number of victims and extent of MKUltra experimentation is unknown, because most of the documents related to the program were destroyed by the CIA in 1973. These drug-induced psychological experiments were not limited to MKUltra, but implemented in broader tests on service members that spanned decades. Between 1948 and 1975, a similarly disturbing program was being carried out by the U.S. Army at Edgewood Arsenal in Maryland, where 7,800 soldiers were being secretly tested with more than 250 chemical and biological agents, including hallucinogens, LSD, PCP, and BZ, as well as sarin gas, mustard gas, and three nerve gases developed by the Nazis. 
including Frank Rochelle, who was tortured for months at Edgewood when he was just 20 years old. He volunteered for what he thought was testing out new battle gear. Instead, he was given a chemical that drugged him for three days, experiencing horrifying hallucinations that made him try to cut out his own freckles. Although medical records indicate he went through a third trial of tests, he has no recollection of it. He now struggles with visions, severe memory loss, and PTSD. In some cases, electrical devices were even implanted in humans like dogs to try to control their behavior. Our government has not fulfilled their duty. They have a duty to find and recognize every person, and they got a duty to give them medical treatment. They're hoping that we die off. You apply, you get turned on, and it just goes on for years and years. And they want to wear us down. They want to use young men as guinea pigs and throw them away. In 2009, six veteran test subjects of Edgewood Arsenal fought back against the CIA, including Rochelle, claiming the government provided no compensation or health care when the trials ended. Virtually all Edgewood-related health claims have been denied. Many don't speak out, believing they're still bound to secrecy oaths, and others have no recollection of being involved in the experiments in the first place. According to military records cited by Military Times, officials gave participants, quote, unnamed liquids that made them forget the entire event. At the same time soldiers were getting dosed with mind-altering drugs, they were also getting dosed with high levels of radiation under a Cold War program that used service members as nuclear guinea pigs. Having already dropped two atomic bombs on the civilian cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, the U.S. government had ample time to study the deadly effects of radiation. Yet over the next three decades, the newly dominant U.S. empire decided to sacrifice hundreds of thousands of its own soldiers to test the limits of its most powerful weapon. After World War II, the U.S. state claimed the Marshall Islands in the Pacific Ocean, home to 68,000 people at the time. In 1946, the U.S. carried out Operation Crossroads at Bikini Atoll in the Marshall Islands, the first of hundreds of nuclear tests it would carry out using unwitting human subjects. The Baker Test Blast was the detonation of a 21-kiloton nuclear bomb 90 feet underwater causing enormous damage and widespread radioactive contamination. Navy ships full of sailors were specifically placed in the fallout radius. According to a lawsuit, every single person aboard at least one vessel died at a young age from radiogenic disease. Eight years later, the U.S. military conducted Castle Bravo, exploding a hydrogen bomb a whopping 1,000 times more powerful than the atomic bombs dropped on Japan on Bikini Atoll exposing thousands more servicemen as well as tens of thousands in surrounding communities to radioactive fallout. According to a 2012 UN report, the 67 tests covered the Marshall Islands with a radioactive plume that caused near-irreversible environmental contamination and loss of culture and livelihoods for native people who faced indefinite displacement after being forced to evacuate. According to residents, some of the country's islands were completely vaporized during the tests. Tens of thousands died from radiation-related illness, according to the Institute of Medicine, with thousands more civilian victims abandoned. At the same time across the world, 
More than 200,000 American soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines were forced to partake in a series of open-air nuclear blasts in the Nevada desert, named Operation Desert Rock. The unwitting soldiers that participated were callously called ground grunts, ordered to sit in ditches dangerously close to the explosions with no protective gear. They wore badges to monitor their exposure levels so the government could test what grotesque results arose from their new weapons. In 1957, the U.S. government carried out the most controversial and deadly of all the Desert Rock tests, Operation Plumbob, a concentrated series of 29 nuclear blasts involving 16,000 soldiers. To illustrate just how the military commanders viewed their soldiers, they also tested hundreds of pigs in the same experiment. One would think if the results of such a potentially deadly test were so uncertain, they'd tested on the pigs before young soldiers. During this nuclear dystopia, radioactive fallout poisoned not only soldiers, but countless civilians and communities from Utah to Arizona. All the while, the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission assured the population, there is no danger. It wasn't until 1980 that a congressional subcommittee on oversight and investigations concluded all evidence suggesting that radiation was having harmful effects, be it on the sheep or the people, was not only disregarded, but actually suppressed. Joel Healy was a soldier in the army when he witnessed Plumbob. He realizes now that his own government did this to him on purpose, saying, Because I'm thinking, they spent a lot of money training me to be a soldier. They wouldn't intentionally put me in harm's way. And this is 1957. We dropped those bombs in Japan in 1945. So they've known for 12 years. Troops going into battle know that there's a very inherent risk that they may not be coming out right. unless it's in a black bag. In this instance, they never said a word, and they knew it. Just a disgrace. I don't really like to talk about it. A lot of good men died. For decades, the government denied a relationship between veterans' cancer and radiation exposure. Finally, in 1979, the first veteran was awarded disability for his radiation-linked cancer, setting the precedent for thousands of atomic veterans to receive benefits. It wasn't until 1990, though, that veterans started to be compensated, after decades of stalling while veterans either gave up or died. Those who can prove they were test subjects are still denied care. According to the American Legion, Thousands of atomic veterans have been rejected because they have the wrong type of cancer. Blocked from suing the government, families and victims resorted to suing the corporations who played a role. But Congress moved quickly to protect their cohorts, passing a law in 1984 immunizing their business partners from any liability, giving veterans no other avenue for retribution. Exposing service members to dangerous nuclear radiation is by no means a thing of the past. When the catastrophic nuclear meltdown at Japan's Fukushima power plant happened, Navy ships retreated from the zone of radiation fallout. But one charged towards the disaster, the USS Reagan, with 4,500 sailors on board. The commanding officers were well aware of the unfolding nuclear disaster. 
Today, those service members are being stricken with high rates of cancer, leukemia, thyroid disease, and more. We probably got to the coast of Japan the, probably the day after it happened. Um, we never heard anything about a nuclear power plant. We never knew anything about the possibility, let alone any kind of leak. About halfway through, probably around the summertime, my menstrual cycle just disappeared completely. And then it would come back and disappear and go on and off. And this happened until about the summer of 2012, where it came back in such full force that um, I was in and out of the emergency room um, once they thought they were going to have to do a blood transfusion on me because I had lost so much. Like two months after, a lump appeared on my jaw. Another lump appeared between my eyes. I have another lump on my right thigh, and my hairs started to fall out. I try to avoid brushing and combing it, and uh, I'll, I'll wash it like every three days, just because I, I just, I don't, it's like Navy tradition. When you get out, you grow out your hair and you grow out your beard, and because you're bald for so long, and it, like, it's just falling out, and I don't want to speed that up. Before we pulled into our first port since the disaster, we all had to sign this paperwork saying that the military is not to be held liable for for uh, anything that happened, and we had to sign paperwork saying that we weren't sick, that we were okay, and that they did tests on us. The response of the DOD was to lie and say their boats were at a safe distance from the disaster site and deny any correlation with the growing cancer rate. Cancer would become a defining hidden casualty for U.S. veterans, not just from nuclear radiation and chemical tests, but from exposure to known deadly poisons. In the U.S. war to keep the Vietnamese people under the boot of colonial powers, having just defeated the waning French Empire, U.S. generals and politicians blanketed the land with a highly poisonous chemical defoliant called Agent Orange. The DOD issued lucrative contracts to six corporations for their witches' brew, including Dow Chemical, Monsanto, DuPont, and Valero Energy. The corporations used a fast and cheap method of producing the defoliant, leading to an unnecessary byproduct called dioxin, the element that makes Agent Orange so hazardous to humans. They could have produced the defoliant without the deadly dioxin, but that would have been displeasing to their shareholders. So they continued mass producing it the sloppy way, knowing full well the danger it posed. Monsanto captured the biggest share of the market by giving the Pentagon more bang for its buck with a concentrated version, 1,000 times deadlier than their competitors. The military was fully aware of how toxic Agent Orange was. Dr. James Clary, a scientist for the military who designed the herbicide spray tank, wrote in a report, When we military scientists initiated the herbicide program in the 1960s, we were aware of the potential for damage due to dioxin contamination in the herbicide. We were even aware that the military formulation had a higher dioxin concentration than the civilian version, due to the lower cost and speed of manufacture. What they said publicly was different, insisting throughout the entire war that Agent Orange was completely harmless. From 1962 to 1971, Approximately 20 million gallons of Agent Orange was dumped on the Vietnamese people, contaminating huge swaths of the country. 
The toll on the civilian population has been utterly devastating. An estimated 4.8 million Vietnamese were exposed, hundreds of thousands killed or disabled, with over 150,000 birth defects, according to the Red Cross. Among U.S. troops, potentially over 3 million were exposed to Agent Orange dioxin. By 1977, Vietnam veterans started filing disability claims. In these early years, the effects were discovered mainly by veterans returning home to start a family, only to suffer miscarriages and children with severe birth defects. The word normal, uh, in relationship to what a no how a normal family lives, does not apply to uh, Vietnam veterans who have, uh, who have the children or the cancer. Uh, we live Vietnam day in and day out. It never goes away. Many Vietnam veterans also started reporting cancer at young ages. With an obvious health crisis, the response of the U.S. military and government was to continue to deny that Agent Orange had any health consequences, instead creating an Agent Orange policy group to study its long-term effects. And who did they put in charge of the endeavor? None other than a lead researcher for Monsanto. One veteran instrumental in the struggle for justice was Paul Reutershan. At age 18, he served on a helicopter in Vietnam, every day made to fly through huge clouds of Agent Orange. But when he returned home and acquired stomach cancer in his 20s, he began to speak out. He founded Vietnam veterans Agent Orange Victims to organize other veterans to get treatment and compensation. He said on ABC's 2020, I died in Vietnam and didn't know it. He filed a $10 million lawsuit against the corporate producers of Agent Orange, but he wouldn't live to see the outcome, dying from cancer that same year. He was only 28 years old. After years of fighting, the court worked out a settlement that betrayed the victims. Each veteran with Agent Orange poisoning was awarded a maximum of $12,000, spread out over 10 years. The widows of Agent Orange veterans who died from exposure were awarded less than $4,000. The settlement ended up hurting veterans more by making them ineligible for key state benefits. When it was forced to admit exposed veterans on the ground should be entitled to compensation, it refused to include exposed veterans who served on aircrafts or Navy vessels. The military even tried to destroy the contaminated aircraft so that they couldn't be tested. It wasn't until 2015 the U.S. government recognized thousands poisoned while spraying Agent Orange. And as recent as February 2016, the U.S. government doubled down on denying care to 90,000 poisoned Navy veterans. The refusal to help veterans they poisoned is even more outrageous, considering how little is actually needed for these benefits, compared to how much the DOD has on the hand for corporate America. For example, the 2015 decision to cover victims on aircrafts cost $45 million, one-third the cost of a single F-35 fighter jet. The same experience of being poisoned and cast aside by their superiors awaited the U.S. servicemen and women who would be sent to the next major ground war over 20 years later. U.S. troops sent to the Gulf War experienced a wide variety of serious ailments from memory loss to terminal cancers and a phenomenon coined Gulf War Syndrome. The number of U.S. service members that are potential victims of Gulf War Syndrome is around 250,000. But the U.S. government denies 80% of claims from veterans who seek health benefits for it. One major contribution to this army of six soldiers is the exposure of an estimated 200,000 U.S. troops to sarin gas. No, not because the Iraqi army used them, but because the U.S. military blew up the stockpile and let their soldiers breathe the smoke. 
Through both the Reagan and Bush senior administrations, the government helped U.S. corporations Cardinal Stabilizer, United Steel and Strip Corporation, and Alkalak International sell material for chemical weapons to Iraq. But then the possession of these weapons was used to justify the U.S. war in Iraq in 1991 and again in 2003. U.S. commanders ordered the obliteration of Iraq's chemical weapons stockpile in the Gulf War. But in their excited use of firepower, they disregarded the obvious factor of their troops being inside clouds of sarin gas. Hundreds of thousands of service members paid a major price for the decision. Those exposed to the sarin gas suffer high rates of cancer, as well as an increased risk of Alzheimer's and other degenerative diseases. Those closer to where the chemical weapons were destroyed suffer brain cancer rates two to three times higher than their counterparts. When sarin gas set off detector sirens for US troops, Officers told their soldiers that the alarms were faulty. One combat engineer interviewed for the Washington Spectator stated, Alarms went off all the time. Our officers told us they were false and to disconnect them. The DOD, CIA, and VA all secretly confirmed they had exposed hundreds of thousands of their soldiers to sarin gas. One classified document from 1991 shows U.S. Army command stating they had positive confirmation of chemical agent casualties. But, they said, if press asks, we have had no chemical casualties. And like any professional criminal, they made sure to destroy the evidence, ordering units to shred reports that documented troops' exposure to sarin gas. Claims for exposed veterans are rigorously denied. We have heard, Chris and I have heard people come forward here with terrible, terrible illnesses. That's one reality that Chris Shays and I and other members of this committee have heard for years. And then there's another reality that seems to come from the officials. We have 241 federally funded projects spending $247 million. Dr. Heinrich, is there a Gulf War illness? Uh, the experts that we spoke with, uh, sir, have said that there is unusual symptoms and that they still cannot identify the cause. But it's also clear to us that uh, they are doing studies to try to further identify what that might be. Thank you. Well, that's it. And that's the insanity that we're dealing with. Another illness that defines Gulf War syndrome also infected the next generation of U.S. troops. Depleted uranium. Poisoning both civilians and soldiers in Iraq in 1991, then again in Afghanistan and Iraq after 9-11. DU tips are used in tank rounds, Tomahawk missiles, and more an expensive upgrade to maximize destruction. Defense contractors like General Dynamics and Raytheon make billions of dollars producing these munitions. The radiation left over from DU is incredibly dangerous to humans. Its poison fallout lasts 4.5 billion years. The toll in the Iraqi population is staggering. Iraq's Minister of Women's Affairs reported that in one month in 2009, of all babies born at Fallujah General Hospital, 75% were born with deformities. Officially, Iraqi government statistics show the undeniable correlation. After the Gulf War, cancer rates increased by 20 times the normal amount. After the 2003 invasion, it increased times 40. Despite these glaring facts, the DOD continues to insist that DU fallout poses no health risk. While they've averted all blame and accountability for what it's done to generations of Iraqi civilians, so too have they turned their backs on the U.S. service members they also exposed to the radiation. Even though the U.S. government was eventually forced to admit that thousands of soldiers had DU in their bodies, they continue to insist it isn't harmful. 
even when veterans test positive. They're denied claims for tumors and other related illnesses. U.S. troops who served in the Middle East in the past two decades were also exposed to another poison that's now killing veterans as Agent Orange did. Noxious smoke from so-called burn pits. Vice President Dick Cheney's Halliburton and subsidiary Kellogg, Brown & Root made billions in profits running facilities all over Iraq and Afghanistan. With a new jackpot, KBR still employed a cheap and easy way of doing their job of waste disposal and simply incinerated everything from human excrement to military equipment around the clock in huge open-air burn pits, filling the lungs of everyone nearby with highly toxic smoke. The commanders and corporate bosses knew the effect the smoke would have on everyone at the base. Leaked internal memos reveal U.S. military commanders were discussing the serious long-term effects as early as 2006. But the officers kept the danger hidden from their soldiers and continued to let corporations like Halliburton operate on the cheap. Again, it was impossible for the military to deny the health hazards from the burn pits. So they did the only thing they know how to do, deny the medical claims. Sergeant Daniel Diaz, who served four tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, sometimes was made to sleep 20 feet from burn pits that smoked 24-7. In 2008, he developed cancer and other serious illnesses related to the toxic smoke. But the military has denied any correlation and has rejected his claim for benefits. I have a hundred grand in medical bills because I have no coverage, and it's breaking my family. I'm just trying to fight to stay alive long enough to get my claims settled so my family has something when I'm gone. Abandoned by the government with a long and arduous appeals process, burn pit victims have had to resort again to their only recourse, suing the corporation responsible. America's politicians and military commanders tell young men and women all over the country that if you sacrifice, if you obey our orders without question, you'll be taken care of. But the reality is they're treated as nothing more than disposable equipment. And when they ask for help for being poisoned, they're met with a brick wall of lies and denial. With the largest military budget in world history, the US government would rather invest billions to deny the science behind sick vets, just to get out of paying meager benefits. As long as the corporate elite rule for profit over life, our loved ones will continue to be used as sacrificial pawns just to serve their interests. For those in the military today, this history shows that without a doubt, the orders given to you from your so-called leaders cannot be trusted, and your life could depend on exercising your right to walk away from them. Thank you for listening to the Empire Files podcast. If you want to subscribe to our mailing list, please sign up at theempirefiles.tv. We want this show to be a resource for those fighting against Empire both here and abroad. Let us know what you think on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Empire Files and Facebook at The Empire Files.